All right. We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And joining us today is Chris Contreras, VP of Global Customer Success and Operations at Nextroll. Let's jump in and get to know Chris. How are you, Chris? Welcome. Really good. Really good. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Christopher Contreras, tell us a little bit about your background, your family. Where are you from? Yeah, so I'm originally from Miami, hence the big University of Miami logo in the background. Yep. Uh, (laughs) Carl and I share uh, a very large bond uh, for the hurricanes. So, you know, my parents are Dominican and I'm in a a half black, half Latino family. So, you know, I have a unique uh, perspective when it comes to like diversity in the tech space. Moved to New York about eight years ago live out in Jersey City, married with a two-year-old, almost a two-year-old daughter. You know, it's been a, a wonderful ride, you know, these past two years with uh, our daughter, Catalina. So, uh, she's a great person. And it's been my focus right now is uh, my work is one piece, but I feel like my home and the work that I do here and uh, setting the right foundation, you know, for my daughter and her overall success as will be a true female leadership role in the future is one of my core focuses. Uh, so yeah, that's awesome. That's me, you know, and I, de- I identify myself as a, Afro-Latino, so um, you can consider me that my identity as well. That's cool. I want to learn more about that. But first, you know, what are you doing for work these days? Like, what's what's uh, keeping you busy there from the, uh, not nine to five, maybe like 7.30 or eight to seven? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say with uh, like with anybody with almost, an almost two-year-old, she tends to want to start getting up at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, yeah, my mornings start at about at the time that she chooses. So it's no longer, there's not an alarm clock. It's normally uh, whatever time she wakes up, we all wake up. So, you know, and I think it's a great opportunity. I'm like, you know, COVID, regardless of, you know, the the sentiments and the situations that I feel for families who have been impacted by it, it's given folks like myself the opportunity to be closer to my daughter. You know, I used to travel a lot for work and, you know, involved in a lot of industry events. So this has given, relegated me to be very focused on her and the family as well. So, uh, you know, it starts early in the morning, 7.30. And I'm connected, you know, at work after we do breakfast, our breakfast routine with Catalina. She tends to want to read books in the morning. So it's usually the same set of books. And she's into books in general. So, and she remembers everything in the book. So it's interesting. Uh, we're only speaking to her in Spanish huh. until she starts school because kids are sponges, right? So she's going to learn English through schooling, but she's learning Spanish and it's the selective language that we're speaking in the household. So for me, it's a challenge because Spanish is my second language. You know, I obviously come from a Hispanic family, but uh, we spoke English in my house. My father moved to the States when he was 16, taught himself English, went to undergrad and put himself through medical school. I'm like, you know, really, really one of those like bootstrapped himself through his career. Uh, so he definitely wanted us to focus on learning English as much as possible. We had my mom who English was her second language. So I could dabble in both growing up. So, you know, from that perspective, yeah, you know, connected by nine o'clock, focused uh, on work, but, you know, she'll probably come in here anytime during this conversation. But, uh, you know, she'll interrupt calls and folks love her for it because uh, she actually starts pointing at things and say, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, sure. it's a good age to have her interrupt meetings. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I want to ask you about sort of growing up and, you know, Afro-Latino, you know, Afro-Caribbean, right? Like, how did that impact you and identity and, and sort of growing up with a family and a household like that? 
Yeah, definitely. Look, in, in Miami, it's a it's an interesting mix because folks have a common misconception. Miami is, you know, very Latin oriented, but it's very densely populated by Cubans. And Cubans as a population, I'm like, you know, there is some racial undertones within the Cuban sector. And it's just, it's natural. I'm like, they come from an island where it's like, you know, the power in the island that left, you know, during their form of uh, evasion, I'm like, was was very much the folks who were well affluent and they, they had the means to leave the island. And then, you know, as the years went by, you know, that Miami started forming its own like repertoire. So it was hard to kind of like associate myself with like the Hispanic culture when it's just one, you know, specific area. But then also a lot of my friends were uh, either, you know, white Americans that lived in, in Miami their whole lives and they grew and they've seen the change in time. I went through the public school system in Miami, which is one of the worst in the country, you know, but it's one of those experiences that I will never want. Uh, I would say I would never want not to do all over again. I would do it again the same way. It gave me a lot of raw exposure as to like what happens when you mix, you know, certain uh, dynamics, both social, economical, into one, you know, large pot. And Miami also happens to have one of the highest student populations per district. So, like my high school, for example, had about sixty five hundred students. Wow, and that does. I'm like in in context, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about what a twenty four thousand square foot building, sixty five hundred people is a lot of people. My my freshman class had about hundred and ten students in it. People were I, I was sitting on the floor for most of my, the first half of my freshman year. So it just gives you context as to like what we were walking into. But, you know, I was still able to get a good education, you know, through that upbringing. But yeah, from an identity perspective, it was, it was tough. I'm not going to lie. And that started, you know, exa- become more exacerbated as I went to college as well. You know, I went to University of Miami, like I mentioned, it's a private uni- institution, heart, you know, really, really good program. A lot of folks from the Northeast. So not a lot of folks that look like me. And, you know, I was accepted into their biology uh, program. So I have a dual major in biology and then uh, finance is my secondary major. But, you know, I started in biology. I went in, you know, as pre-med, you know, super excited. Did really well. You know, I graduated within, uh, with my degree within two years. And then I still had two years left on scholarships. So I picked up finance. I was always interested in like running in a hospital. So I said, I'm going to pick up a finance degree and do something along those lines. But every, every class I was in, me and maybe one other person were the only minority representation in that class. And the other person happened to be of Asian descent. And that's what universities consider minorities. So it's been, you know, I would say it's even through my career, it's been a hard thing to come you know, and become accustomed to. It's like the higher you go up, the more experience you get, the more education you get. It's like less and less of me are there represent him. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I always like to say, Chris, in, in ad tech and martech, none of us went to school for the jobs that we do right now. And you just proved that out with a biology and finance. It's hilarious. I'm like, I've had so many great uh, leaders that I've been able to work with that were sociology majors, art history, ma- literature majors. So yeah. it's just like, it's another fact that I, I do a lot of So at Nextro, we have an outreach program where it's like underfunded programs and high schools can get mentorship from like leaders within my uh, organization. So I've been working with them for the last six months. Um, Students that are going into college and they just started in the last month. And it's interesting because like their number one question is like, how'd you get to where you are? I'm like, believe it or not, it's it's an interesting story. Like sit down, I'll tell you a little bit about it. You know, I started in finance. I'm like, I thought, you know, let me get a good base. 
And then I started realizing I'm, I'm an operator. I like solving problems. And in finance, no offense to folks in finance, it's a great job. It's a great aspect, but it's very mundane. You do the same thing every day, every month, you close, everything's got a tie, boom. Uh-huh. Next, you analyze certain things, you can analyze trends. But, you know, I like, you know, operations. So I was given the opportunity to work through a transformation, a Six Sigma, like lean Six Sigma process workflow at Univision at the time. And I created a role for myself through that project. Mind you, I created the role and then I put my name in it. And I said, I think I can do this. And I was given, extended an olive branch. And that kind of springboarded my career in the direction where I'm at today. You know, I grew to be you know, senior director of revenue strategy and operations at Univision and overseeing account management at operations and a lot of, uh, you know, core digital operation uh, roles. I moved to New York and then I just transitioned to the startup and ad tech and martech sector. And, you know, everything was a history from that point forward. Gotcha. Uh, I, I've been leading customer facing teams since I would say the last six years. And it's been a great ride to transition from internal ops and strategy to customer facing strategy and operations. Yeah. And, and, and I think in that example, right, you, you just touched on two points that we'd like to talk about here on the podcast, which is one, you created a path for yourself. And then two, you educated yourself, right? You, you bet on yourself to move your career forward. So I think, you know, there's a lesson in there not to always, you know, you, you can't sit back and wait for someone to present an opportunity for you. Sometimes you have to make the opportunity yourself. Yeah. And I would say it's, a, it's one of the pieces where, you know, from a mentorship perspective, you know, I focused, you know, with folks who are my mentees is there, there will be opportunities. Don't get me wrong. There are opportunities where you mm-hmm. can, they come up and you put yep. your name in the ring. And, and I tell folks, regardless of how you feel, if you fit the role or not, put your name in the ring. Because number one, the experience in interviewing for a different role will start get, codifying the areas that you need to focus on. Mm-hmm. So if, you have, if you're deficient in certain areas, you'll see those as the questions come around and you just don't have very select answers for, but then it gives you something to hone in those skill sets and self-teach yourself in those or expose yourself to folks in those roles, either in the industry or the company you're at. But yeah, the one piece that I focus, you know, my, a lot of my efforts, like how can you create something that doesn't exist? And there's not a lot of people who think that forward looking. So, you know, companies tend to always be amenable to people who are thinking about, hey, there's a there's a problem here and here's a solution and I can help with that solution mm-hmm. uh, because everybody's always thinking about the now, like what's the issue that's broken now versus like there's a bigger problem that's causing all these issues, underlying issues, and it's this. And yeah. like this role will cover that and I'm putting my name in the ring because I think there's an opportunity for us to do some great things there. And doing that, I think, just moves you closer and closer to your destined future. But in many instances, it's like yourself and yeah. you're wrapping your way through it. Definitely, definitely. You know, for the period of time that you and I have known each other, w- one thing that, that has always stuck out to me is you love, you know, running customer success and operations teams. And you also just love being a leader of teams and building teams, right? What is it about leadership that you in- enjoy? Uh, yeah, so, you know, this will go back to my time in my first job. You know, I, I had a, you know, a pretty strong, I would say, leader experience-wise, but was not like the type of leader that actually cared about their employees and cared about the well-being, you know, and wanted to ensure that they grew and learned. It was a very good task taker. You know, here you go, you do this, you do this, which are great for certain aspects of your career, but it started like 
in my mind, I was just like, this is not, if I ever get the opportunity to leave folks, I want to ensure that I, I'm a coach first. So I, I played sports growing up and I, I always draw back to the experience as being part of the team. And I think that's the aspect that makes me a successful leader is because my success. So if you ask my current boss or any of my bosses in the past, my success is usually not numbers specifically towards what I'm touching. It's well, how my team is being bullied up to show that I'm doing my job well. Uh-huh. Um, and that type of leadership construct was lacking in the beginning part of my career. And I promised myself if I was ever given the privilege to lead an organization that I would first understand and get to know everybody in my org, regardless of the size. I've been on teams where I've had hun- uh, over 100 employees. And I literally, from the first two months, I met with each employee individually. Just to understand like what they're trying to like what excites them about the role and what they're trying to get out of it. And it's a two-pronged approach, right? First, I get to assess the risk of the group that I'm responsible for and like where they are, and then also where a lot of the gaps are from what they're understanding as to like where they're going. Yeah. Um, the perfect example is right now at Admiral, which is the business unit I represent under next role, you know, we had no career lattice, for example. So folks in our organization had no idea like where and how they can grow into something completely different or within the role that they're in. Coming as an account manager, for example, how do I get to a senior account manager? How do I get to a principal account manager? How do I become a manager of the account managers? So I spent with my leadership team May and June just literally going down and creating those lattices for people. And then we rolled them out two weeks before we had our semi-annual reviews. And then folks were able to fill out a self-assessment and then get catered feedback uh, as to like where they're headed, what, you know, what do they need to focus on? And it's that type of environment that I like to create. And that's my number one priority because if I'm able to get people to be excited about their role, their capabilities to grow and expand in their current function, then you're going to get tremendous output on the actual customer facing responsibilities because yep. they're motivated. They're not demotivated by not knowing or feeling like there's a ceiling and I'm the ceiling or their manager's a ceiling or they are interested in product and just don't know how to ever get there. So that lattice, like drew through our CS org, through product, through marketing, and there's a bunch of different factors that we took into it. Awesome, awesome. And and another area that you are leading at your company is in diversity and inclusion initiatives. Can, yeah. you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So you know, for those listening in, um, Carell sat in one of our first speaker series sessions. So we have a couple of ERGs, you know, at Nextro, and Nextro has really strong company values, and they actually live those values. It's not what a lot of companies have been doing for the better part of the last four or five years, like building up values and sharing ERG stuff just because to check off the box. No, like it's embedded in their culture. And I've been part of that culture for the last nine months. And it's very evident that it's there, which is drawn my my perspective on, I'm going to lean in hard on this just because I've leaned in everywhere else I've been at, but at a place where folks are actually focused on ensuring that underrepresented groups and just general ERGs, regardless if they're underrepresented or not, have some representation and an open forum you know, have the opportunity to have those uh, open forums are there. It's just been a great thing to see. So we created this with our Roll Deep, which is our African-American and Black, you know, community ERG, you know, with the times over the last couple of months, it's been a turbulent period to be either Afro, Black, or any, you know, culture that's around that uh, from a diversity perspective. You know, it's just been an interesting conversation. And we've taken challenging conversations internally where we have company forums where we invite speakers 
like Corel, to just open up our perspectives around like, what are we doing? How do we invest more time into this? And the answer is not Corel coming with like 10 things for us to do tomorrow. It's like everybody opening up about what are they doing? What does that mean for each individual? It's something different. I mean, no one's creating a list of like, hey, you know, you happen to be, you know, the white person on my team. Here are the 10 things you need to do. No, it's like everybody does their own thing and focuses on like what makes them better as a citizen that's contributing to the social justice that we need to reform our broader, you know, U.S. You know, laws. So from that perspective, it was, it was a great thing to kick that off. I'm actually doing another speaker series uh, for our Romigos, which is our Latino and Latinx ERG. We have uh, a speaker who was on this series, Dennis Colon, who's joining and giving his... Who's that? We don't know. <laughs> I know. He's been on twice, I think. <laughs> <laughs> hey, watch out. You might be too. He's bringing, a, a, you know, his unique perspective on like, you know, his upbringing and just like what he sees that we could be doing. And it happens to line up with Hispanic Heritage Month, which kicks off in the middle of the month. So, you know, we, we have some really good stuff there. But all in all, I'm like, look, I think, you know, my passion for it is just living through the experiences that I've lived through over the last, you know, 15 years of working in an industry where it is, like I keep saying, you get up in the ranks and I've been in leadership for the last seven years so from a leadership perspective. And it's been, been hard, you know, to be represented. But, you know, where I've seen folks, you know, flex in, uh, that representation brings a lot of value. It brings different perspectives. It brings unique ideas that don't get exposed or expressed. And it also enhances the leadership team to think about things through the lens of the minorities that are representing a large portion of their organization. Mm-hmm. Words have impact. The way you frame things have impact. Things like uh, you were chatting about, Corral, which we were thinking through as well internally. is like things like in the ad tech industry, like blacklists and whitelists. Literally, like just the fact that those two things distinguish one thing that's bad and banned and the other thing is good and it's white. It's just, it wasn't intentful, but it was just the way it was, it was created. It just starts bringing everything down back, yeah. you know, because it codifies things in a certain way where it's systematic and it's systematic towards the tech, which then, you know, creates the word, the notion to that negative uh, format on the blacklist. It's an interesting concept, but it's true. It's embedded in a lot of things that we don't even take for, we take for granted in tech. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, Chris, I want to, you know, ask you about your career and your experience. And you mentioned what you, you've gone through and what you see throughout your sort of climb in your career. And as yeah. people of color, you know, either directly or indirectly, we've always been sort of exposed to some, some sort of discrimination. I'm curious about your personal experiences. How, how have you handled issues of discrimination when faced with it? Yeah. So, look, I think one of the biggest recommendations that I've had for folks, you know, that are my mentees that happen to be of underrepresented groups is as a leader, I'm like, you, you start with calling it out. I'm like, it's the number one priority that I've had in the last seven years that I've been leading is just, you know, you need to cut it out from the beginning. The moment you, you kind of turn a blind eye, you start creating an environment where those things are acceptable. Perfect example, you know, from my personal experience, like, you know, I've sat in leadership teams where I literally am the only non, uh, I would say non-marginalized group that's sitting in, in that meeting. And what ends up happening is that like, I would say something, and this was probably like 10 years ago, I would say something and then, you know, people were like, okay, that's interesting. And a counterpart of mine would say the exact same thing and be like, that's a freaking great idea. I'm like, we should run with it. I'm like, 
wait a second. I'm like this, like I literally just said this. Yep. <laughs> and I, and I see this a lot also with like the female mentees that I have that they'll speak up in these meetings. And it's almost like they're just like speaking into a pillow. Like no one, like they're muffled from a perspective, but you know, it's like giving people the power to just ensure that they're asserting their perspective and providing a, dif- a difference of opinion. And the best challengers that I've seen, honestly, have been in these underrepresented groups. What you want in a leadership team is not yes people that just like follow course by like one North Star vision. It's people who challenge the norms. And you tend to see that a lot with female leaders and, you know, folks who are underrepresented groups and leadership teams as well. They're always bringing a different perspective because they're, they're not used to the Yes, Captain, you know, model that you've seen for years in a lot of these large organizations. Thank you for for sharing that with them. We've heard it so many times over and over again about that voice just being muffled, but hearing someone else say the exact same thing and having a different reception, you know, to that voice of the sort of idea. So thank you for for sharing that with us. I'm curious about your thoughts on, on how, you know, the industry can be more inclusive in ways that it can that it can sort of change uh, to actually make meaningful impact. Yeah, you know, there's so many examples of ways that we can be better. I'm like, it starts first with like the trade and uh, just the events that we go to and we visit. Especially now, we start looking at it from a digital perspective. The speakers, and I'm seeing this from a lot of folks that I've been interacting with in the industry, that won't even go to these events if there's not a higher percentage of non-white, you know, speakers on the panels for the three days of the event. And it's almost like people are taking like the power that they have and the ability of folks wanting to hear from these leaders who are, you know, in our African-American community, happen to be very strong leaders in MarTech and AbTech. I'm like, they're just putting their foot down now. They have a little bit more flexibility to do so and they feel more confident, which is good because it's got, they've gotten to that point where they understand. I'm like, hey, people want to listen to me. I also want to hear from other folks that have similar experience that happen to be, you know, within, you know, an underrepresented group. How can we can't find them, guys? I read their articles all the time. I understand what they're doing. So I think there's there's a lot now shifting in that in that space. But a perfect random example, and Karel can attest this. Like you know, we're part of like different groups, and you know, we, I was in a fantasy draft last week, and I happened to be you know, myself one of the only underrepresented folks in that draft. And it just happens to be like, it's just, and it's not intentional. I'm not saying this is an intentional aspect, yeah. but it's almost like the only people that are in leadership roles happen to be folks that are, are not from underrepresented groups. Then I'm like, you are always usually going to be one or two of the only ones represented. And it's my responsibility through the rest of my career to bring more chairs to the table where I have the flexibility to do so or introduce folks to other leaders so that they have an opportunity to grow, even if it's outside of my organization from a perspective of like just getting more representation out there. Yeah. Chris, uh, you know, you talked about having mentees and I'm curious about now, so you're a mentor and did you have anyone that mentored you and sort of showed you how to sort of help others both professionally and, and personally? Yeah. I would say first, my number one mentor has been my mom. I'm a mama's boy. So I'll confirm that 100%, you know, and <laughs> Shouts nothing wrong mom. with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> People <laughs> chastise me, but it's, it's totally fine. She's a great person. I'm like, not just because she's my mom. She's just a, a very inspirational person. I'm like, you know, and she's been a great role model. We have a younger brother. I have a younger brother who has Down syndrome. So I'm a huge, I was in Special Olympics as a coach for 20 plus years. But just to see like how far my, my younger brother came up and has been just, in a normal state, not never considered as a disabled 
person in our family. And a lot of that has to be, is anchored on the strength of my mom and just her ability to focus her time on all of us individually as humans versus just as, you know, many people in her family that can do tasks in the house and, you know, just the education that she brought up. So that's, and she continues to be a good mentor of mine and now happens to be a very strong mentor for my daughter as she's been helping with us, uh, helping us with her over the last couple of months. But from a career perspective, I had some really good mentors. One is, his name is Charlie Echeverry. He was uh, formerly the CRO head of sales at Univision uh, Interactive. He actually runs a black and brown collective. Uh, he started this company. Charlie will be on the podcast. Yeah, shouts to Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, uh, and he'll, he'll attest to, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I've called him in many instances to continue to mentor me. He was my boss, you know, when I was at Univision. And he's just been a great person to listen to. He's just a, an amazing human, an amazing Latino leader, and just a very smart person. Another person who has, a, I think, a BA in like English literature, Akura, going back to the beer. <laughs> So has a unique background. It's just a strong foundation. It's a family person by, by trait, but he treats everyone like family. And I think that's where you start off the right path is when folks are part of this movement, you know, for you, regardless of the role, like our roles are to, you know, get people motivated to do their job. And he taught, you know, me a lot of that. When I transitioned from finance into operations strategy, it was because of him. He was the one who gave me the olive branch. So I, I've you know paid it forward plenty of times, but I'm out forever in his debt because he's been a great mentor and a great leader in general. Awesome, Chris. Where where do you draw inspiration from? You're you know a father, a husband, a business leader. A lot going on. Where where do you draw inspiration? Mama's from? boy. I mean, <laughs> I would say, and this is you know fully honest, and Perel will probably agree with me. Like I draw a lot of my inspiration from my wife. To be honest with you, I'm like she's an amazing person, a strong leader, someone who I think should be doing bigger things, but is so devoted to her team and the success of her organization that it's what keeps her motivated. But she's just a, such a strong character. Carol had actually had the, you know, the privilege of leading her at, at one point in his career. And she's been a better leader ever since, but she's just a great you know, person. She, I draw a lot of my inspiration from her. And one, like a, one of the best hires I've ever made. What's yeah. her name? Carolina Fernandez. All right. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, but the second motivation is my daughter. I'm like, she's the one impact now that I'm focused on making is leaving this world in a better state for her to succeed in whatever she decides to do. Uh, and that starts with, you know, being a girl dad first and representing all of her ambitions and removing all the blockers that are stigmas and necessary to make her an equal representative party in any conversation and anything she decides to do in her life. So it's my number one focus, you know, and I hire with that in mind before I had a daughter, you know, the majority of my leadership team is very mixed. My senior leaders are, are women in my organization. So I represent and you've had folks on your podcast that I've promoted in my career, like Brenda, etc. So I'm like, you know, there's a large representation and just my ability to focus on people first when it comes through that motivation for my wife and my daughter, are like the number one drivers right now. Love it. Love it. Love it. What advice would you give to anyone entering the workforce and looking to start their career and, and, and grow it? If you can think back to the time when that was you, I guess, you know, what, what advice would you give to your younger self now? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a great question. Like the younger self, I would see. I would say probably less ambitious early on. I'm like, I'm like, it, it's interesting. I'm like, I'm I'm a go getter. So 
it, which is one of the things that I've been working in my career is kind of like slow down a little bit because even once you move into senior leadership, you have to think, watch things you know evolve through time and see if those strategies are working long term. But you know, I'm super ambitious. But uh, the one recommendation I would make is for folks to get into whatever industry that they want to get into at whatever role that they're able to get into because it's they're the number one, they're the diamond in the rough. So that role is going to give them exposure to potentially other areas of the business that they will lean on and find interest in. And um, I'm not going to lie, when I was in college, the last thing I thought is I was going to be a financial analyst coming out of the university during the worst recession in the history of this country, you know, live to have a conversation with you guys in this industry, you know, for the last, you know, 15 years or so. It's an interesting, you know, dynamic to, to be in that perspective. But the opportunity, I think, is, is great for people if they focus and they do a really good job at their core function, but they start branching out and learning more about what other people are doing and just be inquisitive. I mean, yeah. ask questions. We don't have the opportunity and flexibility now to have that water cooler conversation. So be awkward and just invite people in your organization. If you're in a role right now or you are about to start something new, I might just be inquisitive. Understand what makes other people successful, what they're trying to achieve, and how you can potentially be, help them or be exposed to it by being you know, given an assignment on a bigger project. There's just a lot of ways that you can expose yourself. And you know, it comes with you, like we said earlier, putting yourself and promoting yourself in many instances. Yep. Gotcha. 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 One fun question I love asking everyone on the podcast, and you've listened to uh, plenty of these, so you know what's coming. Give us the top three apps on your phone. You cannot name email, calendar, or text messaging. All right. Um, <laughs> so I would say my uh, weakness is now is YouTube. So I go down a lot of rabbit holes. I'm a watch aficionado. I love mechanical watches. So oh, wow. I literally watch mechanical watch building videos. Carolina, my wife would be like, oh, not again. He's watching. <laughs> it's like the most monotone voice. But I'm like, I'm just intrigued by like the, art, the artwork that is a watch, cre- like creating a watch and making a watch from scratch. The second app I would say is Instagram. I'm a pictures person. I'm an image yeah. person. So I love seeing family and friends, especially now. Like I'm in my now late 30s as of yesterday with my birthday. So I'm officially 36. So uh, I would consider myself four years before I get to 40 and people are like, oh man, it's all downhill from there, I guess. <laughs> um, but, you know, I live through pictures and a lot of my friends are, you know, their families, they're starting their families and they're seeing their kids go to school for the first time. So I, I live vicariously through pictures and their their experiences since, especially with COVID especially now, it's now, like yeah. pictures that tend to lighten up my day. And then the third, I would say the third probably app it's something I, I stumbled upon in my last role. We were like trying to see an effective way that we can leverage TikTok. And I, for some reason, have gotten into a rabbit hole of using TikTok. <laughs> I just, it's, way, it's way too advanced for me. And I'm a tech person. It's just a, too much complication. So I just tend to like follow personalities that I like. And they tend to post interesting stuff on there just because it's snippets. But those are, I would say, two social media apps and one media-centric app. If I would add a fourth is a New York Times, I just use New York Times. There you go. Well, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because I always get to find out new and interesting things about people that I've known forever. And I never knew about 
your love for watches. So glad yeah. I got to find that out. And TikTok, apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no TikTok dances for Chris. <laughs> oh, we were going to ask you for one before we go. So. <laughs> if my daughter gets to a stage where she wants to do it, I'll do it with her. But. There we go. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Chris, thanks for hanging out with us today. Many of our listeners love to keep the conversation going and connect with you. So yeah. what's, a, what's a good way to do that and where can they find you? They can look me up on LinkedIn. It's uh, Chris Contreras. We can share my email and my Twitter handle as well. Look, I'm always open to connecting with different folks. And I think it's an opportunity to meet people, but then also help people if they're contemplating moving into CS uh, in the customer success sector or anywhere else in the industry. I'm happy to be a litmus and an opportunity to bounce the ideas off of, but then also you know provide context and just some perspectives you know that I've uh, honed in on to the last couple of years of uh, leading folks. Always open to any conversation for anyone. So we'll share my contact information as well. Excellent. Chris Contreras, thanks for hanging out with us. And for all the listeners, you can find more episodes everywhere you find your audio. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again. You, baby. <laughs>